The Old Testament reading for this, the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the prophet Jeremiah, the 15th chapter. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone, because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Therefore thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. This is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the twelfth chapter. <laughs> Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink, or by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. 
For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And this is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How many times have you heard statements like this before? My job is so hard, but that's just my cross to bear. I'm allergic to grapefruit, but that's just my cross to bear. Detroit's got no defense this year, and that's just their cross to bear. The transaxle on your SUV just went out. You missed the big white sail, or you've got bunions. And those are all just crosses that you have to bear. We've all heard statements like that. We probably all made things, made statements like that as well. Things such as these are what we often think of as crosses to bear. Little inconveniences, things that just annoy you. And wouldn't it be great if that was the actual extent of it? Wouldn't it be fantastic if minor inconveniences were the only things that weighed on the life of a Christian? But we know it's more than that. We know that Jesus here is talking about so much more than petty inconveniences when he tells us today that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross to be Christians. Crosses are big and heavy. Crosses are a symbol of pain, shame, suffering, and death. Crosses are not minor little inconveniences, but a life-changing and often life-ending event. And yet, taking up that cross is an essential part of being a Christian. Jesus says that to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. So what exactly does that mean? What is the cost of being a Christian, of following Jesus, what are the crosses we are called to bear? Well, look at all the things that Christians are expected to give up just in our readings today. Jeremiah says we are not to sit in the company of revelers or rejoice with the world. We are not to turn to the ways of the world around us, but rather stand firm like a wall of fortified bronze. Paul says we are to abhor evil, Outdo one another in showing honor. Bless those who persecute us and do good to our enemies. Jesus sums it all up by saying that we are to put our minds on the things of God and not on the things of man. And guess what? These aren't easy things to do because they are contrary to our very nature. Jesus says that doing these things is denying ourselves. And we are not so good at that, are we? When we see something that we want, we get it. Whether we can afford it or not, whether it's actually good for us or not. 
We like to gratify our desires and gratify them immediately, to think only of ourselves, to live for the moment and give in to our urges. Drunkenness, selfishness, adultery, lying, cheating, stealing, anger, jealousy, swearing. That's not just things that we do from time to time. That's who we are. That's our nature. That is what comes automatically to us. And to not do those things takes great effort as we try to rein in our sinful nature. And you know what? Our culture says, don't bother. Our culture says, do whatever comes to mind. You be you. You were born that way. Who are you to fight it? Who are you to say that there is wrong and right? If that's what the urge is, do it. If it feels good, do it. Don't think about the consequences. There's no such thing as right or wrong, so just stop feeling guilty about it all and just enjoy yourself. The good life in our world is portrayed as a life of extravagance, of hedonism, sexuality, overindulgence, no restraint. People think this is the good life, to just live in the moment like an animal and have no thought at all about the future or anyone around you. And God's word speaks against all these things. The Ten Commandments, they are pretty much a reverse image of the world that we live in. They are there for a reason. God has to tell us don't do these things because those are the things we want to do the most. God's word makes it so clear that so many of the things that are loved and valued and honored by this world are actually sinful and dirty and wrong. And so we assume that taking up our cross means that we have to be the stereotypical Christian, that caricature that we see in the news and on TV shows, a solemn prude scowling our way through life, tut-tutting everyone else and sucking all the joy out of the lives of the people around us. We think that our motto has to be, I can't enjoy myself, I'm a Christian. It's a sin to smile, it's a sin to have joy. The world tries to convince us that being a Christian, following God's rules, living by his word, makes us so square. Everyone else is doing it, and we're missing out on something so great. Why would we want to do that? But here's the question. What is the actual cost of being a Christian? When we turn from the ways of the world, are we actually losing out on anything? Is it really that great of a sacrifice to be set free from the guilt of empty sexuality? Is it any sacrifice at all to turn away from the sinful ways that we abuse and endanger our bodies and the people around us? Are we really missing out when we stop using foul language, stop stealing, stop lying, stop trying to hide our shameful deeds? One of the biggest tricks that the devil has ever pulled is convincing us that sin is good, that we're missing out on something by not doing it. It's kind of like if someone says, well, you've never tried a manure sandwich before. It's fantastic. You should know. No, I don't want that. But the devil is such a good salesman. He dresses it up so pretty. He makes that sin so alluring that our nature says, well, gosh, i got to try that now. Any tiny 
temporal pleasure or joy that we might miss out on, it can't compare to the eternal gifts that God gives to us. When we live according to God's word, we are actually set free from so many of the earthly consequences and fears. And it's not about earning heaven. It's not that God is watching us and keeping score and saying, well, that was one sin too many, Paco, too bad for you. We live by God's word because he is our heavenly father. He gives us his rules because he loves us. They are for our sake. When we live by that gracious word that he has given to us, we don't live in fear of being caught by our friends and family and being shamed for it. We won't have to fear the earthly authorities and the legal problems that so much sin wants to bring into our lives. We don't have to suffer the emotional, physical, and spiritual pain that those sinful vices bring about, even though they promise to be consequence-free. And you know what? Living without those things, that's not a sacrifice. That's actual joy. Living without that fear. Living without looking over your shoulder, wondering who's going to see you, wondering if you are doing right or wrong. That is actually fun. Knowing that your actions aren't endangering yourself and others. Trusting, walking confidently through this world, not being blown by the winds of our society that changes the rules every 30 seconds. That's something that we as Christians can actually rejoice about. We can laugh about it. We can celebrate it. We can dance about it. We can live life to its fullest, its real fullest, not its most sinful. We can walk through this life with confidence and assurance, knowing that God, our Heavenly Father, has given us good rules for our safety, that the things that he tells us to do are for our sake. And you know what? It's even more than that. The gifts that God pours into our lives, it's not just to make our time on this earth slightly better or slightly less terrifying. The gifts he gives us are eternal. God is with us in our lives, strengthening us, guiding us. Most importantly, though, forgiving us. We can't live according to God's word perfectly, no matter how hard we try. Even as we recognize the benefits, even as we know that that is the right thing to do, we still fail because we are by nature sinful and unclean and we are driven to do what is wrong. Even as we curb our sinful actions, even as we strive to live more closely to God's word, we are still sinners and we will still fall into the devil's temptations. But when we do, that is when the true joy of Christ lifts our hearts, our hearts, and makes us rejoice. Jesus' love, it's not based on how well we live according to his word. Because if it were, every one of us would be lost forever, no matter how good we might look on the outside. His love and forgiveness, his promise of eternal life, it's not based on how well we live our lives, it's based on how well he lived his. It's based on what Jesus has already done for us. It is historical fact. It is written. It is finished. And that's where our confidence lies. 
Before we were born, Jesus himself knew us and loved us enough to lay down his life for us, even though we were sinners, even though we wanted nothing to do with him, even though every inclination we had was wicked and evil and wrong. As soon as sin entered into the world and tainted mankind, God chose to sacrifice himself to atone for our sin so that we could be forgiven. He chose to lay down his perfect and holy life in agony and shame, to take up his cross so that we sinners could be forgiven. When the devil sought to destroy and sow chaos, to convince us that wrong was right and sin was good and fun, God showed true love and set about to bring healing, forgiveness, and peace. Not by pretending our sin was okay. Not by changing the rules or building in a loophole for us if we really, really tried and had our hearts set on good things. He did it by paying our price in full. By shedding his perfect blood in our place to cleanse us, to wash us, to take that sin as far as the east is from the west. That's why, as Jeremiah says, God's word is a joy to us. And it is the delight of our heart. We don't revel in the things of this world because we know they won't last and we know that more often than not, they are sinful to the core. But we are called by the very name of God himself. We are given his robe of righteousness and perfection even as we continue to sin here on earth. We have not just a hope, not just confidence, but the absolute guarantee of everlasting life because Jesus has suffered and died for your sins. He has risen again from the grave to give you eternal life. And we are not alone in being given the name of God because his mercy and his peace, it's for everyone. That's one of the reasons why we deny ourselves. That's one of the reasons why we stand out and we don't take part in the ways of the world. So that others will see Jesus Christ through us. We'll hear his word through our lives. We'll be brought to faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not earning anything by denying ourselves because Jesus has already given us absolutely everything. But when we live according to God's word, denying ourselves taking up our cross, standing out from this world of darkness and being beacons of light, our lives are blessed and the lives of those around us are blessed as well. So really, what is the price of being a Christian? Yes, there will be some persecution and hatred from this world because we have the name of God upon us. Yes, we are called to deny our base sinful instincts and live in a way that is completely alien to the world around us, and it is often difficult. But as we do so, we realize that this is not a burden, but a blessing. As we are changed by the word of God, we realize just how empty and destructive the ways of the world that claim to be so great, they aren't. We realize that our culture's idea of fun isn't fun at all, but hurtful, self-destructive, and meaningless. We recognize that God's word, it is not a stifling blanket that smothers all of our fun and our joy, but rather it is just the opposite, as it shows us what real fun and real joy truly are. Taking up our cross, it might sound like a horrible prospect. And yes, there is pain and suffering involved many times. 
But when we realize that we are setting down all of our sin to do so, we recognize that we are actually gaining so much. We don't lose a thing, for our crosses are nothing compared to the benefits of the cross of Jesus Christ. For by his innocent suffering and death, by his glorious resurrection, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.